Uh, today's reading comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. And it says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where this Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose uh, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And, they were, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herald, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Harold is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Harold. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Harold, when he saw that... Uh, that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to, that, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. And then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping loud lamentation, Rachel reaping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they, were, they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. It's already been a really great Sunday. So I hope um, hope this word will bless you. Um, I'll give you a little bit of a warning. This is not an easy message. And because it's not an easy text. It's actually a painful text. And we often think about Christmas in a rather sentimental way. But today, I want you to think about this from what this passage is saying in, in a way which I think is tremendously relevant for today. It's tremendously relevant, okay? So let's get into it. Part one, trying to murder the Messiah. That's part one. Trying to murder the Messiah. Part two, hated by the world, but loved by God. Hated by the world, but loved by God. And part three, hope and courage in Jesus Christ. Okay? 
hope and courage in Jesus Christ. Let's get to part one, trying to murder the Messiah. Um, every year we get to this portion of the year of Advent, and uh, the, I mean, the, the church looks wonderful. The mall looks wonderful. And there's music, wonderful, beautiful music coming everywhere. You just go to the store, and there's this festivity, and there's a lot more color, and people just start to feel good, and it's great that that's what it's like inside of our culture. Um, but it is my responsibility to help you to see Christmas not from culture or from tradition. We, what I want you to do, and it is my job, and I hope you want this too, is to see Christmas from the Bible. How does the Bible talk to us about what happened and its importance when Jesus was born. And this passage, you all heard this passage. If you grew up in this church, there's no way you don't know this passage. Okay, And even if you did not grow up in this church, you still kind of know this passage. And you know that there's these guys called the wise men. By the way, there weren't necessarily three. There were three gifts. We don't know if there was a two or if there were 20, but uh, we do know there were three gifts. They go to the powerful leader of the time, it's Herod. Herod, just for those of you who, who don't know this, Herod is a king under the emperor of Rome, okay? So it's sort of like, you know, the, the, the old re, um, term would be something like vice-regent, where you're a king under a king. And so the Jews are a conquered people, the Roman Empire is, the absolute authority is the emperor, but then they have, you know, it's a hierarchical culture, and then they allow the Jews to have their own ruler, they call him Herod, and they have a name for that kind of ruler, it's called Tetrarch, okay? So he's a Jewish ruler, but he is under Rome, and the wise men come to say, hey, there's this person called the Messiah, <laughs> and we think he's about to be born. And can you let us know where he is? And you get this, um, we get this story in the middle, which everybody remembers and knows about. The, the wise men go to this house. By the way, it wasn't, according to the Bible, they didn't go to a, 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 a stable. They did not see Jesus in the manger. This is sometime after the birth. So at this point, they're in a house, okay? So, you know, that picture that you have from culture where there's the manger scene, you get the shepherds, and you get the animals, and then you have these, these, uh, these, these more king-like figures called the wise men, and they're all there at the same time. That didn't happen. It didn't happen like that. At Christmas, the, the poorest were there. The, the shepherds were there. They're, they're, they were, we're talking about the bottom of the working class of society. So the day that Jesus is born, uh, the rich and the educated were not invited. <laughs> so the wise men didn't come on that day. But they did get to come sometime afterwards, and they come to a house. And so I want you to just see that picture. They come to a house. They see the, the star leads into this house. They're like, this, this, is the, this is the place. And they bow down and worship. I just want to say a little something else about this, too. Um, a lot of times, people aren't sure, does the Bible actually teach that the man Jesus is God? Okay? 
Does, is the Bible actually teaches the man Jesus is God? Let me just say a little something about this. When they bow down to worship this baby, let me tell you something. They're saying, the Bible is saying he's God. <laughs> the book of Matthew was written by a Jew for Jews. The Jews are the last people in the world that will ever let somebody bow down and worship to another man. The Jews only believe you only worship God. In fact, it's so serious business, you know, that they're, that they're very, very serious, they're very, very serious punishments for what they would consider blasphemy. So here is this story <laughs> written by a Jewish man. Originally, the, the Gospel of Matthew was going to go out primarily to a Jewish audience. So that story there is saying they know who this is. So these people who are, you know, were wise, they knew who this is. That's the portion that we all tend to focus on in this story. But generally, the other part of the story isn't preached. <laughs> the other part of the story goes something like this, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked, that he'd been fooled, because God had told those, these wise men, don't go back to him. You need, to, you need to basically get out of town and go another way. Um, he became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. This is what's in the Bible. You get to verse 18. There is this, there was a voice of great weeping. It's a, it's a quote. It's a quote out of the Old Testament. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. On the one hand, you know what this is saying? That wicked evil would accompany the birth of the Messiah. This is a prophecy. On the other hand, this is also what is being said, that where God is proclaimed, there's opposition. And not kind of opposition, very, very serious danger. What I want to talk about today is, it's not an easy thing to talk about. Christmas in our culture, if you take the Jesus part out, it all just seems really, really kind of nice, right? But basically, if you take the Jesus part out, it all becomes honestly just kind of silly. <laughs> and it wouldn't be a beautiful, incredible holiday for everyone if you take the Jesus part out. Right? But if the gospel is at the center of Christmas, which it absolutely is, here's also a really important feature, which is completely normal in the world, which is that, um, that the gospel brings danger. <laughs> Regularly so regularly, all throughout history and all throughout the world, where Jesus comes into the society. Jesus is literally coming into this world here. Jesus is coming into the society. The powerful of the society want to kill him. <laughs> and what I want to say is, is this just history? It's just kind of an interesting piece of history. I, what I want to let you know is, why is this in the Bible? <laughs> Why do we have to read and think about this thing? 
everybody until everybody everybody believes in Jesus and reads the Bible is going to read this story. This is how Christmas happened. And what I want to put before you today is this. It is a very regular feature of the world and history that the gospel is rejected and genuine Christianity based on the Bible is hated. So when the Bible teaches that the world is sinful and hates God, let me tell you something, that's not just some talk, some religious talk inside of a book. That's real. <laughs> that was real then, and let me tell you, it's real now. <laughs> so we're not reading something that only happened in ancient history. You know what? We're dealing with something that the Bible is talking about, a reality that the Bible is talking about, that everybody who wants to know the Messiah is going to face. That's what we're talking about. And you know, this is a very, very serious reality around the world. We live in a society that believes in freedom of religion, freedom of speech. But all around the world, our brothers and sisters, they know what it's like to be a despised minority. Let me say that again. A despised minority minority. So many of the brothers and sisters, all, it's all throughout history, all throughout now, when they read this passage, let me tell you, they're not thinking about their mall lit up with nice trees. <laughs> when they read this passage, they go, yeah, that's what it's like for us. That isn't just what it's like for Jesus. <laughs> that's what it's like for people who believe in Jesus. <laughs> it's dangerous. <laughs> For us to believe in Jesus, that means we have to face danger. We could be safe if we say, I don't want to believe in Jesus. Forget Jesus. The people around us who have power in our society, they will stop bothering us. But if we say, no, Christmas, it's Christmas. Our Savior came into the world. Not myth, history and we worship him, and we love him, now we're in danger. And the reason I want to talk about this is because, is because this is starting to happen in our society. <laughs> um, in, uh, in 2020, you all probably saw the video, we watched a man named George Floyd died with the police having his knee on his neck. And I watched that video in total horror. <laughs> I watched it out of tremendous compassion for that man. I watched it out of just searing pain for those who I know who are black in America and how they will feel. But I also had this other sick feeling inside my stomach, which is we're going to move into a time in America when I, as a preacher, will no longer have the freedom, shall I say the freedom, to talk in such a way where I can try to avoid things that sound political. <laughs> I'm not really up here to talk to you about politics, but I know that if I teach you the Bible, it will be heard as like I'm being political. It's just impossible now to avoid that 
because the politics in our country now are basically more and more legally coming after Christianity. And I knew that turn was going to happen as soon as I saw what happened there in 2020. And it's happening. Right? So let's go to part two. Hated by the world, but loved by God. Hated by the world, but loved by God. Um, we're living in a time right now um, I've never seen Christianity as embattled in America as it is now. <laughs> never. <laughs> I'm 51 years old, so I'm not a kid. <laughs> and I have watched over the last at least 30 years the rise of ideologies in our culture, and then they start to, those religious moral ideologies are starting to get embedded in the political and legal structures in America, and I see those things rising in such a way that I knew was going to be very bad for the church and for Christians, and increasingly hostile. And, you know, we're not out of time. I don't want to in any way feel like, look, there are people, we have brothers and sisters around the world, if they proclaim Christ, they could be killed, okay? Their children, they're thrown in prisons, their pastors, you know, tortured. That's just a normal feature of certain places of the world. So we are not in that kind of danger, okay? So I don't want to say like, okay, we're persecuted like that, because that's not true, okay? But the hostility in America is real, and it's getting worse. So I want to talk about something I'm not sure you're following. Um, and I think this development, it's basically going to be a game changer in our culture. So this past week, I've been reading article after article on um, a bill which is going through the US Senate right now, the American Senate. And so this week, I think the debate is already over. And, the, and the, the bill is called the Respect for Marriage Act. That's what it's called. So if you hear about this, that's what this bill is called. It sounds, that's got a cool name. The name sounds good. Who should be against that? But really, the Respect for Marriage Act is intended to embed gay marriage into the culture in all 50 states. That's the point. Now. There's already been a very famous case that went to the Supreme Court that basically said, you know, this is the way we're going to go. But now it's a different thing when Congress passes a law and the president signs that law and that becomes federal law. <laughs> and there's a huge debate in the middle of Senate whether this law has sufficient protections for people who disagree with same-sex marriage. There is a, a legal expert that I, I respect. His name is Andrew McCarthy. And he has this rather lengthy essay about this, about this proposed law. By the way, the Senate already agreed. Uh, it vote, the vote went something like 61 to 36. So this is coming. 
It's going to go back to the House of Representatives. They're going to have a little bit of like reconciliation. And it's going to go to the president, and he's going to sign this thing. So Andrew McCarthy, in this lengthy article, he gives you all his, his, his take on same-sex marriage and so forth. And I'm just going to give you what I think is the money portion of the essay. He basically thinks that Respect for Marriage Act, he thinks it should be called the Annihilation of Religious Liberty Act. That's what he thinks it should be called. He thinks the protections inside of this law are not nearly good enough. So what does he foresee? He's a legal expert. Now, is he exactly right? I don't know. He's somebody I respect. So when he says this, it, I mean, it sends off serious alarm bells to me since it is my responsibility to shepherd God's people to live in the gospel in our culture, in our times. So let me just re reference one more important case. There was a case that went to the Supreme Court, and it was called Masterpiece Workshop versus the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. That's what it was called. This went all the way to the Supreme Court. I'm not sure if you followed this. It's a famous case, okay? And here was the crux of this case. There was a bakery called the Masterpiece you know, Bakery Workshop. There's an expert baker who runs and owns that, work, you know, that bakery, and he was a devout Christian. And some folks who were gay deliberately chose him to come to, to choose them, said, will you do the wedding cake for our wedding? And he said, I'm a Christian. I will do any other cake, any other cookie, birthday cake, you name it, happily do it for you. But uh, it's against my faith. I, I can't do the, the wedding cake. And because of certain laws that were starting to arise in Colorado, and they have a commission, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, they began to fine him and harass him from the law. You understand? It's not just individual people, private citizens, saying, we don't like you for your views. It's the law. The government is starting to harass him. And so then it led to, it led to a very, very expensive and protracted uh, case, which went all the way to the Supreme Court. And at the Supreme Court, Jack Phillips won, kind of. <laughs> he kind of won. Which is, when you read that case, and you can go read that case. You can Google it, read it. Um, you can read that case. They basically said the government shouldn't be able to do this. But then the protections in the, the, the way the law was written were still pretty weak. What Andrew McCarthy thinks is going to happen is this kind of thing is going to happen all around the country. That's what he thinks is going to happen. And one of the senators in, in the Congress, this is, a, this is a Senator Mike Lee from Utah, he wanted to strengthen the religious liberty language in this particular bill. And you know what? Um, there weren't enough senators who agreed. <laughs> so this is where we are, brothers and sisters. And what I want to say to you is 
I think if this law passes, I don't know if it's going to be like tomorrow where the law will start coming down on Christians in our businesses, in our place of worship. A lot of you who work in tech companies here in Silicon Valley in the Bay, you already know this better than I do, that if you have an, a biblically orthodox view of sexuality and you say you really believe in Jesus, that you're going to come under suspicion and you're going to be fearful maybe even for your job. You already know that. A number of you have told these things to me, right? But I want you to think that what, what happened is this movement is going to shift and it's going to happen all across the country. And I think this is going to signal where Christians, that is Bible-believing Christians, we're going to get to know what it's like to be legally, legally, not just in terms of the culture and in terms of our morality, legally, according to the laws of our state, our positions in society are going to be much more precarious. And we're going to feel this. We're going to feel that we are something more like a lot of our brothers and sisters around the world, that we are despised minorities. <laughs> and I know that's a really heavy thing to talk about, isn't it? But this is what's going on. And what I want to do today is I want to close with the gospel. <laughs> you know, the gospel washes us of our sins. So we have eternal life forever and ever. Our brother Ricky found out that like, if you are, if you are oppressed by the occult and demonic, or that you live inside of anxiety, that having Jesus can utterly change that. That's absolutely true. But I want to offer the gospel to those of you who do believe in Jesus, that let's go to part three, that in Christ you can have hope and courage. <laughs> hope and courage. We're used to not having to be nervous or be afraid, or be worried about our livelihood and our culture just for believing in Jesus. But I think that's changing. And here we are, it's Christmas. And let's see the goodness. So I want to say two points. Um, I want to get to two points, and then I want to give you one of my favorite, favorite Bible passages in all of the Bible, right? close this message, all right? So, number one, I know that some of you, you hear this thing, and you're going to be like, yes, <laughs> I'm not afraid. I believe in Jesus, and let's live for him. I'm, all these other things around the world, they're not what's most important to me. Jesus is what's important to me, so I'm not afraid to go into that. Maybe some of you are like that. And so, a kind of tough and scary message like this you know, it energizes you. And if so, that's great. <laughs> but I want to speak to those of you who are scared. All right? And maybe, maybe most of you. It's very reasonable to be afraid. You have worked incredibly hard to study, to get your jobs, <laughs> to get into your gigantic mortgage and to provide for your children, 
and to have a good life. But to think that you know, the way our laws work and so forth could threaten that, that's, that is incredibly hard. <laughs> but here's the thing I want you to see in this passage. First of all, here's the thing I want you to hear. Do you see that God sees you? <laughs> he sees his people. He makes a way for the gospel. He makes a way that Jesus can come into the world and all those who are his people, including very, very weak people, Mary and Joseph, they're so dirt poor, they couldn't even get a hotel room when the baby was born. God makes a way for them, okay? And one of the things I want to say to you is, God gave us Jesus to have us forever. You think that if you hold on to Jesus, he won't have a way for you? I want you to sit in that. This is Christmas message for you today. Jesus came for us. All those who cling to Jesus, now we may go, oh my goodness, now there's threat and danger into my life, into my family's life. Would you cling to Matthew chapter 2, where God makes a way. He made a way for the wise men. He made a way for Mary and Joseph. Will you trust that he will make a way for you? I cannot promise you that God will like utterly protect your job, make sure everything goes exactly right for you so you don't incur loss and suffering. I can't promise that to you. God is God. Okay, God does let his children suffer. Well, I want to say this today. He's always good. He's out absolutely good. And that in no way means he absolutely does not love you. He let Mary and Joseph, he let Mary bear a baby and put that baby in the worst baby crib of all time. <laughs> I'm sure it was incredibly painful to Mary and Joseph. But when we read that story, can't you see, it is unbelievably good. <laughs> and Mary and Joseph, utterly loved and honored by God forever and ever. Would you live before the face of God in Jesus Christ and know that if you walk with Jesus, Christmas according to the Bible, he will utterly cherish you and make a way for you. Okay? That's number one's first point. And now I want to ask you the second point. Um, maybe a number of you remember my first sermon when I came back from my sabbatical. Do you remember that series? It was a short series. And the series was called Better Than Gold. And I came back from sabbatical, and the first thing I asked you was, is your life in Christ better than gold? <laughs> it is more precious than gold. Your faith in Jesus Christ, is it more precious than gold? That's the question I want to ask you today. In our culture, that's an absolute gut check. I do not know how anybody can follow after Jesus 
and not ask that question in the depths of their heart before God. We are going to have constantly, they're going, we're going to be threatened with our place in society, with our financial security. So that's the question I want to ask you. Is Jesus more precious than gold? And, you know, this is Christmas. I don't know if you feel this. I look, I read these passages every single year. And I meditate on this. And you know what? It's completely obvious to me when I read these passages. Christmas is for the poor. You read these passages again and again and again. God says, you are poor in the world, but I'll make you rich. <laughs> and you see this baby that's born? He is poor in the world. And he took on our poverty so he could make us rich. That's what Christmas is about. <laughs> Can you hear that? Can you receive that? Jesus comes into the world. You know what the first issue he has to deal with? Almost getting murdered. That's the first issue he has to deal with. His parents running for their lives. The first issue he has to deal with. And so Jesus knows rejection. Jesus knows poverty. Jesus knows hatred. Jesus knows what it's like to be disapproved and rejected by the world. You know what? All throughout the Bible, the Bible talks about justice for the oppressed, for the rejected, the hated, the poor, the murdered. You know why I think God loves the oppressed, the rejected, the hated, the poor, the murdered? Because so many of his children are right in that category. His people are rejected. But you know what? Jesus was rejected so that we would be rich forever and ever, never to be lost from God. That's what Christmas is for, okay? Let me close with this passage. I'm going to read this. It's one of the most incredible passages in the Bible. I can't believe this is in the Bible. <laughs> Every time I read it, I just go... It, it must be from God because only something from God could have said this. And I want you to think this is written for people hated by the world. People who when they embrace Jesus, they very well could be and will be killed and rejected. Okay? And maybe, perhaps today, I would like to ask you, Lord, would you give me tremendous hope in Jesus and let these verses be your verse inside your heart? And it wouldn't just be verses for the oppressed and the poor. Somewhere else, you would say, these verses are my verses. This is a gospel promise for me. Okay? This is Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, he who did not spare his own son from having to be 
born right next to the cow poo and the horse's pee to live the life we should have lived and die the death we deserve to die, he did not spare his own son that. Would he not, who gave us him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Can you believe that? The God who gave us Christmas, how will he not graciously give you all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? I want you to just stop there. Who is to condemn? If you believe in Jesus, you're going to get you're going to get more than a little shade. You will get insulted. You will get hated. You will be condemned. And when that happens, I want you to remember this verse, who can condemn me? <laughs> if who can condemn Christ? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. So the day that somebody throws something up on social media or in your company starts saying something bad about you or you're just hanging out and somebody says what a bigot you are and you feel that sting of condemnation and you feel afraid, I want you to remember this. Jesus is interceding for you. The one in your corner is Jesus. <laughs> the one who protects you is Jesus. The one who make you rich and give you all things is Jesus. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or rejection or insult or the threat of your job or hatred or anger on social media or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered do you see verses like that we typically not tend to pay attention to that it is normal that Christians are hated <laughs> even slaughtered So don't feel like, why are you letting this happen to me, God? <laughs> Instead, we get to embrace the cross of Christ. And through the cross of Christ, we get to embrace the glory of Christ. Okay? Let's close. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Some of you go, hey, pastor, you're a pastor. <laughs> That's why you're courageous. <laughs> that, you're a pastor. That's why you have so much guts, right? No. I know lots of pastors who are really scared. They don't want to talk about this or touch this. In the next year or so, churches around us, the Bible-believing churches are going to tip over and start to be, it's okay on the same-sex marriage. It's happening already, okay? It's not because I'm a pastor. This, I hope this is not a boast. 
is because I believe that Jesus has made me more than a conqueror. Okay? It's not for the pastor. It's for you. <laughs> we all can have it. You are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ, him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers. There is no power. There is no power, none zip zilch, that can, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nor anything, anything, anything in all creation. That includes you. You give your life to Jesus. You just get really dumb. And you just start to blaspheme Jesus. But if the Holy Spirit has come into you, he'll come get you. <laughs> he'll come get you. Jesus paid. So you, he'll have you. He'll come rescue you, even from yourself, okay? <laughs> There's nothing else in all creation, no power, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Revive church. Receive this promise. This is Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, it is it's a precarious time. And I know there are many who will be anxious. But I pray that today they would learn that the word of God can dissipate their anxiety and their fear. You came to give us perfect love, and perfect love casts out fear. And we come to you to receive the only perfect love there ever is and ever will be, the one you gave us, Father, through your son, Jesus. Through Jesus, may the Holy Spirit be poured out on us so that the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, yes, steadfastness, yes, courage, of infinite hope would be poured into us. And you would steal our hearts and give us great courage and joy when, not if, those around us hate us and reject us. We will not return hatred for hatred. We will not have a spirit of politics. We will not look to the tools of man to fight this fight. Instead, we will trust in the gospel, <laughs> the great gift of Christmas. The great gift of Christmas is Christ, Christ through the gospel. When we have you, Lord Jesus, may we give back those who hate us much love and grace and mercy and kindness. And when, they, when that happens, they will say, these Christians are so weird. What, what our brother Ricky found out, Christians are not hateful. They are loving. Because we have received perfect love from you. We pray that you would do this in us. You do this in Revived Church. You would do this in all the Bible-believing churches across America, but especially we pray here in Silicon Valley and throughout the Bay Area. And we pray that 
in this time, Christmas and the light of the gospel shine more brightly than ever and ever. In Jesus' name.